0: Understanding the importance of a relationship with God is paramount as we understand why we are created. So, we start with just a short reflection over three weeks ago, where God, in His creative power, in His omniscience, in His decision making, decided to make man. And Created man, as Genesis 2 7 says, out of the dust of the ground, and formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God made us. Did he have to? No, but he did. He did knowing full well that we would be sinners, knowing that we would need saving, knowing that our relationship with him in its future would be broken and was through Adam and Eve. If God knew all of that, many times people still wrestle with, and we spoke to this a little bit in that first part of this series. If God knew all of that, then why would he create us anyway? Because he wanted to, and that's the short answer. God created us because he wanted to. It's much like asking people, why did they get married? because they wanted to. And uh, some, of, some of you in here have been married for a, a good long while. Uh, the Forays are celebrating 72 years together. And is that this next Sunday? Or when it, it's, it's on the 7th? Don't forget that Okay. <laughs> 72 years together. Let's give them a round of applause. Why did God do this relationship with us? Why did God make us? Because he wanted to. What you need to know, I I hope, now listen, maybe you're not used to messages and not used to sitting in here and, and having someone preach to you. I'm really just gonna open the word of God with you. But if you're new to preaching and new to this church, this is a conversation over the scriptures, and I want you to consider to the best of your ability the things that are going to be shared, and I want you to understand that so much of what I'm going to share, I really don't want to be inspirational in my thinking. That's not what this is about. We want to direct our hearts and minds to what God has to say, and what I think is important for you to know is that you are made for a reason. You are made for a purpose, each one in this room. You are important enough to God that the Scriptures would reflect that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. It's no mistake then that every believer should be pro-life. Thank you. It's no mistake that every believer should be an advocate for life for we as human beings are created in whose image. It's no mistake there. God's very clear that we are made in the image of God, that image is a miracle of God's working from the womb, where God designs every individual on purpose. I do think it's interesting that societally, uh, there's a comedian that I sometimes watch, and and apparently you stop being uh, a small family past three kids. Uh, Once you hit four, uh, their testimony was, you don't get congratulated anymore, you start getting advice. <laughs> uh, uh, is something wrong <laughs> with you? Uh, it seems to be the sentiment. I, I just want to say this about kids and about relationships, okay? I never envisioned that we would have eight kids, but I can't imagine life without any of them now. And I, I hope you would agree, but I like my kids. <laughs> I hope you like them too. Uh, I like yours, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and we're all a glorious mess, okay? But, but praise God for kids, but I want to say that you're not valuable just because you're here, but you're valuable because God made you to be here. You hear this? So you're not a mistake in some kind of, of, of spatial burp of history. You, you are designed by an almighty God who knew you as an individual before the world was made, and God has a plan for your life. The importance of this relationship, you may not own, but God does. And the purpose of this message this morning in this short 30 to 45 to 60 minutes that I'll take. (laughs) I'm sorry, visitors, but there's food afterwards. I wanna tell you one residual benefit of the China virus is if there's food in the building, I can't smell it. (laughs) So I'm unaffected by what you're smelling out there, okay? and I've decided that deodorant isn't necessary. Uh, ah, Freedom. (laughs) Randy, Lynn, I won't say what you and I share together about not being able to smell in the world, but yes, I haven't smelled things for a long time. This being said, today, as we reflect over this service, you are made by God. And you're made on purpose, and he's designed you by his will, under his authority, and he has a plan for your life. So God sees that you are important enough to create. You're important enough to be here in time and history. From the youngest to the oldest, some of you are at the point in age where you wonder why you're still here. You're here on purpose. You are valuable. And all life is valuable because God designed you and that holy, omniscient, omnipotent God has placed you on this planet. Now, he's placed you here for a reason and there are many reasons that we're here. This morning, my desire is to drive you to the most important reasons that God has made you for a relationship with him. And out of all that you can know and do in life, the most important thing that can happen in your life is to know about your relationship to the Lord and if you don't have one, to come into a relationship with him. Now, by the way, I know that this message this morning is going to have a strong impact towards the lost. But believer, you and I both know that we can walk this planet in a broken relationship with the Lord. And you can lose focus on why you're here. And you can get distracted by the stuff and the happenings of life, and you can live your life in vanity, but that is not what God has designed you for. So this morning, I think it applies to all of us. So we start then with emphasizing this question, what is the importance of a relationship with God? The importance of this relationship reflects in the fact that Christ died for you, and as we will look at the passage this morning that speak to this, that Christ died for you to buy you back to himself. So the Lord places an emphasis of importance on a relationship with you enough to where he goes to the cross on your behalf. So we open the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5, and we read in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, Paul is speaking here, and of the apostles, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The importance of the relationship is to know that God knows that we are in jeopardy. God knows without a relationship with him that we stand in not only a broken relationship with him, but a doomed relationship. You see, the scriptures are quite clear that because of sin being in the world and because of our truly forefathers of Adam and Eve, sin entering into the world, death came as a sentence upon all. Now, often people doctrinally initially then begin with, well, why would God hold me accountable for what Adam and Eve did? Well, let me just answer this question by asking you this. Are you a sinner personally? Have you seen in your own life your own tendency to deviate from God's plan? In other words, in your past, in your history, have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you hidden the ill deeds of life from others' You because of shame and because of what you've done? If you could go back, would you change some of the things that you've done in the past? You see, the Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And the word righteous simply means to be right. There is nobody who's right with God, and you might have a problem with the idea, well, Adam and Eve sinned, but here's the point. Yes, Adam and Eve were the beginning of sin, but you and I have proven that we are sinners as well. And we have proven it by our deeds. We've proven it by our disposition. We've proven it by our antagonism against God and fighting against the gospel and resisting his, as, as was just sung by Pastor Phil and Samantha, God's gentle call to come to him. So deviant is the heart of man that we can accuse a good and holy God who's invited us into a relationship instead of coming to him, we can accuse our way right into hell. So the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody on the planet that can say, hey, I have not sinned. It goes on to say in the same chapter, Romans 3, 23, why we're not right with God. For all have sinned, you know the verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each one of us has fallen short of the sinless nature of God. Each one of us have fallen short of his holiness. There is this brokenness. Now, knowing we're sinners is one thing. And all of us being in the same boat is something that we can understand that, yes, everyone is a sinner, but it's actually the consequence that comes from that knowledge that is the great jeopardizing fact. And that comes from Revelation chapter 20. So take your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 20. Now, we've just read one verse in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, what does it mean to be spiritually dead? And by the way, I've heard some people recently, uh, secularists, uh, non-believers, argue over death And there is a basic misunderstanding of what death is. Death, biblically, is not a cessation of existence. Death is always a separation. So when the Bible says that death passed upon all men when Adam and Eve sinned, that first sentence of death was a sentence of physical death. And to physically die is to be separated our soul from this flesh. Now the Bible is full of this truth. The Bible gives gives this doctrinal truth over and over again. But to die is not to cease to exist. To die physically is to be separated from this body. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of that second death when we read verses 11 forward. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11, (laughs) by the way, I'll apologize. I haven't had this happen yet. Um, But one of the anomalies of uh, coming back from COVID is I get back cramps. And and I haven't had it when I preach before. It almost always hits me afterwards. But it's right on the edge. (laughs) So if I get a little bent over and charismatic, it'll be exciting. But (laughs) if I start preaching like this, you'll know why. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. A matter of fact, I think there's power in God's people reading the Word of God together. Read it with me. Revelation 20: 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Time out. So when God says he's writing down the works of man, he's not writing down our good deeds. He's writing down everything that we have done that would be an indictment a judicial act for why it would be right for a holy God to cast us out of his presence. So if God was to list all of your sins, how long would the book be? Secondarily, if God was writing a book with all your sins, here's something to know, the last sentence has not been written. For we are all sinners. Pick up in verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the doctrine of the Bible is that physical death comes as a result of a sin-cursed world. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. And there is a place. And that place is ultimately the lake of fire. Now this is horrific news. It's the worst news that anyone on the planet could ever hear is that you are spiritually terminally ill And the judgment against that disease of sickness, of sin, is going to be eternal separation from God in a place of torment called the lake of fire. That is horrific news. And then the Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life will spend eternity in that place called the lake of fire. Now that is the truth of the Bible. There are plenty of people that want to deny that truth, but I want to say with all the authority of the power of God, every knee will bow. And it doesn't matter how smart you think you are on the reasons that you can deny God and deny hell and deny the truth of Scripture, your bigness will become small in the face of Almighty God. Now, God knows the stubbornness of the man's heart. God knew that in sending his son, his son would come to this planet, prove who he was by the miracles that he did, and still be crucified by the people he came to save. And yet, he came because a relationship with you matters. You matter. 2 Corinthians chapter five, if you'll turn back. Verse 14, Paul said, the love of Christ constrains us. this, I have to preach this message because we thus judge that if one died for all, speaking of Jesus, then we're all dead. Verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, don't lose the importance of verse 15. Verse 15 is largely a verse to believers. And that he died for all, that they which live. Well, who are those that live? The Bible says in John three sixteen through 18, and I'm gonna paraphrase, that he gives everlasting life to anyone that will come to him in belief. To anyone that will come to him and recognize that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior, and place your soul in entrusted care to him. If you will give your soul to him and entrust your soul to his care, his promise is to give you everlasting life. That he died for all that they which live, those who have this saving life or who have been born again, should not henceforth live unto themselves. Listen, there's lots of reason for depression in the world, and I will tell you, I totally get a depressed life when somebody doesn't know the Lord is their savior and they're walking around on this planet without Christ. If your hope is in this world, you're pretty miserable. And by the way, if you think President Biden is gonna fix the world, you need to wake up. And by the way, I'll be fair, I don't think President Trump fixed the world either. I'm still thankful for the many things that he did. Don't get me wrong, but no man can fix this world other than God himself. Amen. Our hope, declaratively, is in the Lord of the Bible. So if you're walking this planet trying to find reason, trying to find hope outside of God, you're gonna be in a miserable place. But, but it's not only miserable for the lost. I would argue that it's equally miserable for the one who has life and has lost a sense of the importance of your present living relationship with the God who loved you and died for you. In other words, a believer can live a depressed life because you're living for the wrong person, thinking that you're going to find joy, hope, satisfaction somewhere outside of him. There is nothing you can buy on this planet that fixes this hole in your heart. You are made for a relationship with God. That's what you're made for. And so important is this truth that God wants you to know as a believer, he didn't save you to live unto yourself. He saved you to own you personally. Intimately, deeply, continually to be in relationship with you. Now, I, I, I don't know what to do here. Look, I've I've got one, two, three, four, five passages that prove this point. I they're all worthy. Luke 14, 26. You need to be quick because I'm gonna I'm gonna go as quick as I can. If you need to write them down and come back, fine. Luke 14, 26. The comparative here is verse 25, and there went great multitudes with them, and he turned and, said, turned and said unto them, the Lord says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, pretty strong words that follow, he cannot be my disciple. Now my point in that is in verse 26, these are not bad relationships. Matter of fact, the relationships you read in verse 26 are relationships that are God-ordained and we will come back and look at those in the future. But comparatively, to hold any of those relationships as more, more important than your relationship with God is to miss the boat and to live your life for the wrong reason. The anchor and core of the life of the believer has to be a life that is completely given over in surrender to a relationship with God. And some in this room might fight that truth. And i want to tell you, you can fight it all your life and you can live a miserable life. You choose, you choose. Matthew 6:24 is a passage that talks about whether we can serve God and have another master as well. Matthew 6:24 says, no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon and the mammon is simply the riches of the world. Materialism, materialistic things, you cannot live for one and the other. God is calling everyone who is a believer, to make a decision? Who are you living for? So valuable are you to him that he dies for you. He gives himself to save you and to be in an intimate relationship with you completely. One of my Life, verses of Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The passage teaching that my life belongs to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Say it louder, A what? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? He goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is no better plan than being in an intimate relationship with God. There is no better plan So if you're looking for hope and reason for life, I'm just now giving it to you. It's Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, we read, if ye that, matter of fact, I think Monty, or he's not in the room. Uh, I don't think he is. He read this this morning, I believe. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For ye are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The idea, the idea of the believer's life is in that baptismal tank. When you go down under the water, how much of you is affected by the water? If you've been baptized correctly, all of you, Matter of fact, so desirous am I to make sure I baptize people correctly. It irritates me if I put somebody under the water and they come up and a tuft of hair is dry. I am putting you under. And if you're a lady with long hair and it's not done up in a bob, I'm pushing deeper. You're going to get all wet. And the reason you're gonna get all wet is because that is a doctrinal significance that there is not one single speck of our life that is not affected by our relationship with Christ. We are surrounded by the influence of this divine savior who loved me and died for me. He died that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. He didn't die for me so that I could just walk this planet. Now, you know there are a lot of things that we all like to do. There are a lot of things that we enjoy and I'm gonna say I thank God that he gave me more than the superficial circumstances of life. I don't care what it is. I don't care what the thing is, the hobby is, the, the people are, there is no greater importance in life than living in a relationship with Christ. That's what all of these and more passages teach. The importance of this relationship is that Christ died for you to buy you back to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, our third verse, verse 16. Wherefore, Paul says, remember he's been constrained to preach this message. Wherefore, henceforth know ye no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know ye him no more. The short of that is this. We don't judge people based on their value like everybody else judges them. Paul's basically saying, I no longer look at someone at their rank or position and say they have value based on their rank or position. He also says, I no longer judge Christ after the flesh. I no longer look at Christ the same way I used to when he was someone who was persecuting believers. We don't know him that way any longer. He says in verse 17, a very famous verse, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? You are made a new creature by Christ indwelling you when you place your faith in Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you become a believer, just like in that baptismal tank, you get all wet. When you become a believer and the Holy Spirit indwells your life, there is not an area of your life that Christ will not touch. Because you are his and he is yours. Now verse 18, becomes the crux of why we're in this passage. Why is this relationship important? And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us as believers and as his apostles, all believers have this ministry, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation So what is reconciliation? The Greek word is katalaso. And it means to change, but most specifically, it has the idea of exchanging coins to acquire a possession. It is where we get the idea to buy back. The idea that a price is paid. Your life has value. Your soul has value because the eternal God put on human flesh to go to a cross to buy you back to himself. The beard of Jesus was ripped from his face to prove to you that you have value. The back and sides of Jesus were whipped with the cat of nine tails to prove that you have value. Value enough for him to suffer on your behalf. The head of Jesus was beaten down with the crown of thorns so that the thorns literally trace his skull pierce the skin and pop out at a different place, literally implanting itself to his head to prove that you have value enough to die for you. This Jesus was spat upon ridiculed and mocked and yet came deserving none of it, taking all of it because you are valuable to him. This world is mad with fighting against God. We are no better than any other place in history of those who've been defiant against God. We're as cruel to other human beings as any history or any point in history. We are living as wickedly towards other people in this world as any generation has ever lived. Abortion and sex trafficking and power grabbing and all of this is, are just proofs of the deep wickedness of our hearts. But greater still is the individual heart that fights against a God who dies for them. Believer, do you begin to understand why it's so important not to live the lie of living for yourself? God gave himself completely to you. He has called you to be a holy people. And what that means is separated unto himself. And what it means is we will not look right to the world around us. That is not the standard that a believer lives by. We live under the standard of a God who gave his son to buy us back. Verse 19, would you read verse 19 out loud with me in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, reading out loud. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Let me ask you, do you sense anywhere in what's been said this morning in the scriptures that have been shared, do you sense anywhere where we deserved it? Do you sense anywhere where there was some shining thing in us that said, hey, I, I get why God died for me. I mean, look at what he gets. There's nothing, there's nothing of that. Matter of fact, the core of the gospel in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I hope I'm clear enough to quote it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. Why? Listen. Lest any man should boast. There's no boasting for any of us in heaven. None of us deserves in our merit to be there. What makes us deserving to be there is the price that was paid for us to be there. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, calling you to be a child of God. Verse 20, now then, we beseech you for Christ, and though, as though God did beseech you by us. And by the way, as I preach this message, I, I want you to know something. I don't desire, t- I'm not trying to be a loud preacher. And if it's too loud in here, uh, I, I hope I am not that. I'm not angry and I'm not yelling. Any elevation of voice for me is simply the passion of entreaty for the gospel's sake. It's the desire to see the sinner saved and the believer given in surrender over to God. But that's why he says, As God did beseech you by us, we pray you. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And here's the importance of this relationship. Now, I don't know how to say this well, so maybe I'll get an F on how I say this, okay? So maybe give grace to how I say it. It does not matter what the person next to you has done with their relationship with Christ. To you, it doesn't matter. I know there's another way to argue that, but here's my point. Praise God that someone is saved, but if you're not, that's what this passage is speaking to. This passage is speaking to the old English to a two-letter word, ye. Our three-letter English word, Y-O-U. You, where you sit in this room. And we're not talking only about being saved. We're talking about living your life for Christ. Do you believe that we live in a dark world? Do you believe that God wants us to shine as lights in the world? Who's gonna do that? You, or not. I want to ask you something else. Has God given good reason? Are you with me? This is just you and I doing a little Bible study. I wish we could be sitting across from a coffee table together. But do you understand the importance of your service for God? So let me say something about this church. I know what time it is. I am blessed, Pastor Phil is blessed to have a platform and our Sunday school teachers are blessed to have a platform to teach the word of God. This is not a ministry that's built on the great show so that we're gonna get a bigger crowd, bigger crowd, bigger crowd. Uh, Most of those who have been a part of fellowship understand and know that our goal as, as weakly as we do it, as poorly as we do it, our goal is to lift up Jesus. And I'm thankful that anybody comes. Do you hear me? Now I'm a brother in Christ. I'm thankful anybody comes. I'm thankful you have made the choice to come. But understand... That the coming to this place is part of how we worship God. But it's actually the foot on the ground on Monday morning. It's the foot on the ground Monday afternoon, Monday evening, Tuesday morning, Wednesday. Just walking daily in a life that is surrendered to God, serving Him as He leads in your life. He's not called you to be me. You can thank God for that. He's not called me to be you, he's called you to live in a relationship with him to be what he wants you to be. I just want to testimonially say, the only shame I ever have in my life are those times where I walked outside of God. And what I mean to say by that is I have never regretted any time of giving my life to Christ not only a Savior, but just surrendering to him. I believe every believer could come behind this pulpit and say the same thing. Isn't it true that the shame in our lives are those times when we walked outside of him? Would you agree that the Lord has never disappointed you that the Lord has always been there for you, that the Lord has always, as Brother Sondergaard preached, he's been merciful, faithful, and good. As Pastor Phil preached, that he's always been there for you, and especially in the midst of the storms. So I'll say it differently. Where would you be today if it wasn't for the gospel? What would your life look like today if it wasn't for Christ? Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, the value of your relationship is this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now the Bible earlier said in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no not one. But when we come to a relationship with Christ, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness in place for payment for our sin. So we literally become right with God by belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior, by a personal relationship with him. Now, I'm going to wrap up here and say this. Knowing facts about Jesus does not get a person saved. Hello? You can know all the right answers about Jesus and not be saved. Just because you know Jesus is the Messiah doesn't mean he's your Messiah. Just because you know he died for your sins doesn't mean your sins have been paid for. There's no getting around the fact that the scriptures are clear. There is a point of decision. The point of decision is, is is replete. It's all over scripture. I'll just give you one. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. You have a choice to make. That choice to make is based on the facts that we've just relayed. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he did die for you. But here's the question. Will you believe on him as your savior? Will you entrust your soul to his care? Will you call upon him and say in some fashion, Lord, I am coming to you and recognizing you as my redeemer? This call is an invitation of the gospel to all of mankind. But in this little room right here today, whether online or right here listening, What have you done about your relationship with Jesus? So first of all, if you don't know for sure you're saved, the most important thing you can do is get saved. If you've got questions about it, come talk to me or perhaps the person that brought you afterwards, and we can talk with you through the Bible about how to know for sure that you're a child of God and get that question settled. But believer, this message obviously applies to you as well. Listen to Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Believer, we have a hope of the resurrection because we have a resurrected Savior. Many of you have sent cards to Bonnie Masson. Bonnie, I I gave you a card this morning. In the card... I reflect over the fact that I'm sorry for the loss that Bonnie would feel of her husband passing away, but I also rejoice in a man who's now with Christ. I rejoice in the fact that he is free from the consequence and the curse of sin. This is the hope that each one of us has. So believer, as we end this message, here's the question why are you living your life? What drives you every day? And I don't mean to think that you don't have jobs and responsibilities and parents with kids and, and, and there's school and there's, there's responsibilities, but why are you living your life? And what you and I are going to find is there is no greater satisfaction in life that you and I will ever find than living in an intimate and personal relationship with the Savior who died for us. For that's why He made us. He made us to be in a relationship with Him.